City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 1030 a.m. at 1211 First Avenue North on the third floor. uh, My wife and I have to shop on a budget. Uh, This is something that's very common uh, for folks in St. Pete. And so my wife ends up going to three or four different stores where where she knows where the, the good deals are. And then she sends me throughout the week because she knows that I... Uh, can be laser-focused when I go into the store and just get the thing that we need. Well, one of the things that we've found is a really great deal on fresh salmon at Aldi. They have really, I mean, just very inexpensive, fresh, never-frozen salmon at Aldi. And it's 90% of the time excellent. There was one time, because... Typically when we do salmon at our house, I'll cook it, I'll blacken it. And so my wife said, hey, you're going to cook salmon tonight? I said, absolutely, I'd love to. So I make my blackening seasoning, and I'm getting ready. I get the oil all hot in the cast iron, and then I cut open the salmon package, and immediately one word comes to mind. Nope. (laughs) Nope. Nope, nope, nope. I completely was out on it, despite the fact that this salmon looked rich and pink and fantastic. As soon as you opened up the packaging that it was in, you could tell something very clearly, that that salmon was no good. Something had gone bad in the process, and that salmon had gone real bad. We hate things like this, don't we? We hate when something looks really, really good, And then we find out that on the inside, that thing is really, really bad, don't we? How many of you guys have ever owned a lemon car, right? I've owned several. Cars that on the outside, wow, that looks like a brand new car. That that car looks like it's fantastic. And yet that car is at the mechanic shop every three days because it is just a wreck on the inside. How many of you guys have... Some of you will be old enough to remember when you used to have to buy CDs. You used to have to purchase music on physical media. Um, And and you you couldn't just listen to them all online. And one of the most disappointing things about that would be you'd hear a song on the radio and think, Wow, this band Chumbawamba is really good. This tub-thumping song is, this is an awesome song. I bet you their whole album is incredible. And you buy that album, and you put it in your car CD player, and you find out what? That the rest of the album is terrible, and it's got one good song on it. And you just spent $17 for that one song. It's so disappointing. What you thought it was on the outside is not what it is on the inside. Or how many of you know somebody who has signed up for a dating site and found somebody's picture on that dating site, and I said, oh, this person, this, this is going to be good. This is going to be a good scenario. And then they meet that person. And it is not what they thought it was. This experience of seeing something and it looking really, really good on the outside, but being rotten on the inside, is something that we hate. We hate being tricked. And this becomes particularly bad when it comes to things that are religious. We hate being tricked by people who seem 
like they are godly people, who seem like they are good people, and they are not. Hypocrisy is the worst, isn't it? It is something we sniff out and we get so frustrated by. And that's, that's exactly right. But there's a question. When you meet somebody, when you sniff out hypocrisy, when you see hypocrisy in the world around you, how do you respond to it? How do I respond to it? See, typically, when we see hypocrisy in others, whether that's hypocrisy in a church that we're attending, whether that's hypocrisy in things that we grew up with, whether that's hypocrisy in the world around us, when we see those things, typically, we're pushed in one of two directions. For some of us, we respond by disregarding any idea of Christian discipline and Christian piety. We take the idea of following Jesus and going, look, I knew some people who followed Jesus and they were hypocrites, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm out. Like me with the salmon, we reach for the note button. Or, or for some of us, we continue to practice Christianity. But we do it for our own glory. As Jesus is about to teach the Lord's Prayer to his disciples, he talks a lot about the hypocrisy in us, our temptation towards hypocrisy in the way that we practice Christian discipline. And so right before the Lord's Prayer, he teaches about this. And so as we anticipate next week beginning to learn the Lord's Prayer together, this week we're going to see the teaching that Jesus made leading up to it. So if you would, please stand. I'm going to read the first eight verses of Matthew chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that, which, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees you in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. City Church, this is the Word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seen. You see, our tendency is either to disregard Christian practice in response to others' hypocrisy, or to join them in that hypocrisy. And Jesus knows this about our hearts. You see, he, he tells us about this. He tells us about, about how we pray. He tells us about 
how we give. And actually, right after the Lord's Prayer, there's another passage. It's just like these two that we've just read that says, and when you fast. He talks about prayer and fasting and giving. And what's interesting is the way that Jesus approaches these is not when. It's not a matter of when you do this or if you do. I'm sorry. It's not a matter of if you do this, but an expectation that you will. Jesus expects that as Christians, we will be engaged in things like giving, fasting, and prayer. And yet for us, we often leave these behind. What's interesting about City Church, about us as a church, is the vast majority of us are people who we would call de-churched. Are people who have been a part of the Christian faith and seen something, been hurt by something, struggled with something, and have walked away from the church. Whether that's we moved and never really found a church, whether that's we were frustrated with the form of Christianity that we received, whether that's whatever your story is, for many of us, the way that our lives have gone is we have walked away from the church and are now coming back to it. And when we do that, what has often happened is we have seen hypocrisy. We have seen hypocrisy in the church and our response has been to go, yeah, if that's Christianity, I'm out. Because that's fake. That's salmon that looks good on the outside and smells bad on the inside. That is a fake dating profile. That is a lemon of a car. And if that's what Christianity is about, I'm out. And so what we do is we say, okay, then I'm going to get rid of all of the Christian disciplines. I'm going to keep Jesus. I love Jesus. But all of the things that Jesus says I ought to be doing, nah. I'm not going to do those things. I know this because in many ways, this is the story of my life. I grew up in the church, and as I grew up in the church, I saw a lot of people acting hypocritically. I grew up in fundamentalism. And when I saw these people acting hypocritically, my response was not to go, look, they're sinners just like me. I should give them grace. No, my response was to say, I like Jesus, but all all of us, y'all, I ain't doing it. In fact, I can remember a time when I was first hired to be a minister where there was a span of about 18 months where I didn't pick up my Bible for me. The only time I touched my Bible is when I was preparing for a sermon that I was giving at the church. I had decided that I wanted to keep Jesus, but throw away all the things that Jesus told me to do. It's interesting because this is not just a problem that I've had. This is a problem in our culture. In the the mid-2000s, there's this obscure Mandy Moore movie called Save. Some of you have seen it, and it's the story of these teenagers going to a Christian high school. And if you attended a Christian high school, uh, there's so much in it that you could see and say, oh yeah, I understand that, I've been there, I've done that. And the story centers around this idea of a character in this Christian high school who gets pregnant. And how do the people at this school respond to a pregnant girl at the school? And it's interesting because we'll talk about the one side, the Mandy Moore side. But the other group, the group that the movie kind of praises, is the people who go, yeah, let's just love one another and everything will be fine. Let's just be kind. Let's just be nice and that'll be the way that we do this. And they take and they throw out all of the stuff that Jesus says and say, just be kind. This is not too dissimilar from what Abraham Lincoln said in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. 
be excellent to one another. And party on. This is, this is what hypocrisy does. This is what hypocrisy does in some of our hearts. It causes us to take and go, I can't imagine that the God that the hypocrites worship is the true God. So I am going to throw it all out. And I'm just going to adopt the ethics of be excellent to one another. This is not just the way that people who are driven away from Jesus respond. There are some of us in the church whose response to seeing hypocrisy among our friends, seeing hypocrisy in our church, seeing hypocrisy, might I say, at City Church, our response is to push away the idea of following Jesus and the disciplines of church has practiced for 2,000 years. We decide we're not going to do that. Because if the hypocrites do it, I'm out. And so we are quick to jettison what Jesus says. This is also true, though, for many people who have rejected Christianity. Who have said, no, Christianity is not for me. Because you think about these things that God is asking of us. Things like prayer, giving, fasting. If you don't believe that a God exists, those things are nonsense, aren't they? Think of the way that our culture responds when there is a tragedy. And somebody offers up, let's say on Twitter, that they are thinking and praying for the victims of the tragedy. How much ire does that generate? How much frustration does that generate? And think about it. If you don't believe that a God exists, I understand that frustration because prayer is meaningless if there is no God. Fasting is literally starving yourself for no reason if there is no God. There are much better places to give your money than the church if there is no God. And if you're here this morning, and that's, that's the way that you see it. If you look around and see hypocrisy all over the place, and you can't imagine that a God exists because of that level of hypocrisy, I cannot do anything to prove to you that God does exist. But what I can tell you is that God has sent His Son, Jesus, and He is offering us a more beautiful way of life. A way of life away from the virtue signal. Away from living your life in front of the cloud of social media witnesses where everything you're doing is being judged by what you put on social media. There is another path. But we'll get back to that. Because while some of us live that life where hypocrisy drives us to get rid of the Christian disciplines, most of us are actually just the hypocrites themselves. Jesus tells us, when you pray, when you fast, when you give, you're to do these things in secret. You see, God doesn't just care that we do the right thing. God doesn't just care that you do the right thing. What he cares about are your motives as well. Because oftentimes, when we do do the right thing, when we do decide that we're going to pray, that we're going to fast, that we're going to give, that we're going to 
live by the biblical sexual ethic, that we're going to not steal from our company, that we're going to be intentional about our time. When we decide that we are going to do the right thing, oftentimes our motives are the motives that Jesus is preaching against in this passage. Think about it. How many times is your motive to get glory from others? How many times is your Christian service motivated by letting other people know that you're a good person, that you're a good Christian? When I lived in South Carolina, they would call this attaboys. In other cultures, this is props. This is the idea that we live our righteousness so that other people will congratulate us. In the passage it says, they, they pray like this so that other people will praise them. The word there is actually give glory to them. You see, many of us practice Christian disciplines for our own glory. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason. You can do the right thing. You can follow the Christian ethics. But if it's for your own glory, God says it is useless and hypocritical. Because you're doing it so that other people see it. You're doing it so that other people will compliment you on how good you are, on how well you're progressing in your faith. Or you're doing it because... You don't want other people to pat you on the back, but you're going to throw your shoulder out and pat yourself on the back. How many of us, any time we avoid a sin, look around and go, well, 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 look who didn't gossip at all this week. Jesus, have you seen me lately? I'm doing pretty good. Jesus, I haven't checked my fantasy sports stuff at work one time this year. I am not stealing from my company in that way. Look at me, Jesus. I have not checked my social media at work at all. Look how good of a worker I am being. And we may not be doing it for the praise of others, but at the end of the day, we're doing it still for the praise of ourselves. Or for some of us, the reason that we practice Christian piety, Christian discipline, the Christian ethic, is because we think we can put God into our debt. We think we can make God owe us. If I do this, God will owe me one. So next time I'm having a hard time, I can call in my favors from God. And we think that there's some sort of poker chip system with Jesus, where I'm doing good things and so I'm getting more chips in my pocket. And then I get in a bad situation, well, Jesus here. Remember all these things that I've done? <clears throat> Take care of it. Fix it. Because of how good I've done. All of those ways. Whether it's wanting to do it so that other people see us, whether it's wanting to do it so that we can quietly feel righteous in our hearts, or whether we're doing it because we think that God will later owe us favors. Those are all ways for us to do the right thing with the wrong motives. To be dig just a little bit deeper for a second and ask the question, why? Why do you and I feel, feel it necessary to do the right thing for the wrong reasons? See, what's going on 
deeper down below is that for many of us, we have a quiet pride. We have a subtle desire to make everybody else around us think a certain way about us. I want you to think that I'm good. I want others to see me as important, to see me as significant. I want people to think that I'm deep and spiritual. I want to be influential, or at least perceived as influential. And so we practice our righteousness in front of others so that we can paint this quiet facade of who we want others to think that we are. We're, to borrow from the children's sermon, putting makeup on our spirituality so that it looks better than it is. Because when we're quiet, when we're in that secret room in prayer, when we're fasting and praying to God, what most of us know is that we don't feel bad. We don't feel influential. We don't feel deep. We don't feel valuable. We don't feel good. We're scared that we're not. That we're not significant. It's interesting the way that Jesus couches all of these spiritual disciplines. Who is going to reward you when you go into the closet to pray by yourself? Who is going to reward you when not even your left hand knows what your right hand is given? Who is going to reward you when you fast and nobody knows about it? Your Father in Heaven who sees you. City Church, even if you don't feel like you matter, even if in the quietness you wish you were more influential, you wish you were deeper, you wish you were more significant, the God of Heaven who made the universe, who flung the constellations out, who made the mountains, who formed the oceans, the God who created everything sees you and knows you and loves you. Even when you walk away. Even when you're hypocritical. Even when you are trying so hard to make value for yourself, the Father in Heaven sees you and says your value does not come from your moral performance. Your value doesn't come from how good you have been this week or this lifetime. Your value comes from Jesus. See, the reward that we get in each of these cases, the reward that we get for fasting is not that we look good, is not that God makes gives us more credit in our account. No, the reward that we get is a closer trust in God. Prayer is not a way for us to demand certain things from God. No, prayer is a way for us to exercise our trust in Him. Giving is not a way for us to buy the favor of God. Giving is a way for us to exercise trust and relationship with God. The God who sees you. The God who knows you. The God who died for you. You see, Jesus not only lived a perfect life in his actions, but he lived a perfect life in his affections. 
and his motives. And when he died on the cross, not only did he take away the sin, all of the hypocrisy that we have, City Church, all of the ways that we, City Church, walk away from God and ignore the Christian disciplines, not only did he take all of that away, but he gives us all of his righteousness. So we don't have to perform our righteousness. We don't have to practice our righteousness to prove it to anybody. Jesus has given us all of his righteousness because of the death and resurrection. So what happens in our hearts, what happens in your and my hearts as we read through this, is that we begin to see the ways that we walk away from Christian piety, the way that we walk away from the Christian discipline. Or we see the ways that we ourselves are the hypocrite, the way that we practice our righteousness to get God to reward us, the way that we practice our righteousness to get others to see us. We begin to see that we do one or both of those. And it should make us humble. It should push us to call out to Jesus and say, well, who can deliver me from this body of death? And the good news is, is that he sees you. He knows you, and he loves you. You see, City Church, you can't do anything to change God's love for you. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So no matter how well-behaved you are, no matter how well you practice the Christian disciplines, you can't increase God's love for you. No matter how bad you fail, you can't pull it down. His love for you is strong and eternal. He sees you and knows you. And when we understand that we are both seen and loved in this way, we can begin to have a heart of trust. That it's not about me. That it's not about how well I do. So in trust, we can begin to give so that our right hand doesn't know what our left hand is doing. Because ultimately, it's about Jesus and not about us. So when we pray, it's not us trying to bargain God's favor, but rather we can trust that the God who made the universe is the God who sees us and wants to have a relationship with us. And prayer becomes a means for us to communicate with him a means for us to commune with him. And when we fast, it's not just a matter of us starving ourselves, but it's a matter of us reminding ourselves that our lives and our livelihood are not based on bread alone, but on him. See, church, may God make our insides match our outsides. May he make us whole. And not like all these sandwiches. Amen.